the Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Episode 40 Doctor Who Rosa Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. I'm Catherine Dean. Yes, we are joined by a third guest commentator tonight. Uh, Dean, would you care to introduce yourself and your background? Sure. I am uh, Trinidad. <laughs> I am Trinidad. I am Trinidadian. <laughs> um, I've been living in America for the last 26 years. And uh, during that time, I spent four and a half years living in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, teaching a course at the university on race and the law, which I co-taught with a woman who actually lived the experience in America. Dean and I have been friends for a lot of years. We were housemates together as students in Belfast. Mm -hmm. God, last century. (laughs) We're getting old. (laughs) Speak for yourself. (laughs) I was. You don't look any different to it. But this episode, we are going to be having a, an overview of the Series 11 Doctor Who episode, Rosa, with the benefit of somebody who knows a little more about the culture than either Simon or I do as, as mere viewers. Simon? Yes, because we, we do recognise that as white middle-aged men, we have all the visible privileges. <laughs> and we're not really the ideal people to be commenting on this. Although we already have done. um, And we've talked about, particularly I've talked about problems I've found with the episode. And it would just be very interesting to get Dean's perspective on it. And when we lived together, I inflicted a lot of classic Doctor Who on you. (laughs) So Dean, have you been... Some of which you may even have enjoyed. I enjoyed all of it. Thank you very much. (laughs) But have you had the pleasure of Rosa? Yes, yes. I did check it out. In fact, it was the first one that, first episode that I watched in the new Doctor Who series. And I, you know, I quite enjoyed it. But you've you've watched all the new Doctor Who up to the end of Peter Capaldi, so Yes, that's yeah. right. I have. Right. So mm-hmm. so you're familiar with the with the new series. Yes, yes. And then Jodie mm-hmm. Whittaker is the, the newest iteration. I'm I'm not that familiar with the older series. But the new series, I've watched all of it. Yeah. And have you seen any of the other Jodie Whittaker ones? Or is it just... Because I know you yeah, were doing that. Yeah, I went that. back and I watched the first and second one. And then I watched... Um, I think I watched okay. up to the the one about the partition. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. The Demons of the Punjab. Because I, I know you were trying to fit this in around a million other things that you have <laughs> before you, you uh, got your flight over here. Yeah. So it's lovely to have you on the podcast. Yes, welcome um, Thanks board. for having me. It's, it's lovely to spend time with you because we don't spend enough time with there being a little bit of water in the way. Mm-hmm. Always a treat. Always a treat to be here. Absolutely. And I thought because this is quite a, a serious episode we're going to be discussing, then we wouldn't do any of the frivolous nonsense that we normally do. So we, the gin reviews and, the, uh, and things like that. We'll leave that by the wayside and we'll just purely concentrate on the Doctor Who episode. But before we get to that, what do you think of Jodie Whittaker as a Doctor? Mm. (laughs) I really love her. I love her as a Doctor. I, you know, I think that at first I was like, you're not Doctor Who. And Mm. then her energy, like she has this like really wonderful energy that is a very much like all the other Doctor Whos, you know, the sort of like no nonsense, uh, running about a little bit mad, you know, and of course, the very tender heart, which of course is written into it. But um, 
but I think she's I think she's fantastic. I really like her a lot. And and how do you like the the TARDIS team? So Graham and Yaz and Ryan. I I. <laughs> I think I guess I'm not very critical because I love them too. Hmm. Um, I I really think that um, the fact that they are also uh, different and there's backstory to the character and the back and forth between Ryan and his uh, step granddad trying to work through their relationship. Uh, I think that it works. It works really well uh, to see that kind of like family tension. We've discussed it on here before. My take is that each one of them is a a potentially good character, mm-hmm. but there isn't in, enough in a fifty minute episode for four leads. Yeah, um, I, I do. I do actually agree with that. I, I think that it it might benefit from yeah. having one of them step out every once in a while um, and do some just be off the episode, off doing something in the real yeah. world while the rest of them are on the TARDIS. A lot of companions, and there has been scope for that, particularly with things like the way Clara was, and she'd go off and she'd have her normal life and then come back. My attitude is that Graham went through his story arc in season eleven. He's the obvious one to to bow out mm-hmm. and concentrate on Yas and Ryan. Mm-hmm. But that's not happening in the, the next season, so we'll have to see how things go. So what I thought we'd do in terms of looking at Rosa is look at it in three ways. So mm-hmm. look at it as a piece of television, as an episode of Doctor Who, and as a television production. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, as a piece of television... I think we're in agreement that we yeah. love it. We love it as a piece of television. I, I think it's absolutely beautiful looking. But the BBC does period drama incredibly mm. well. Superbly acted. Mm-hmm. Uh, the actress playing Rosa does a wonderful job. Yeah, they do. They have a lot of really nice details in there. You know, the the dress and the, the accents. They're, well, she had a, dial- a, a dialogue. Yeah. They all had dialogue coaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, uh, that was really spot on. And I, I think as a piece of television, if you were to take all the Doctor Who stuff out of it and just have it looking like that mm-hmm. as a biopic of Rosa Park, it would be a wonderful piece of television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the only thing that I, as a piece of television, the only thing that I was really missing in that is I wanted some more of the details of that era to show up in the episode. So they missed a big opportunity with that lunch counter because there are so many sort of lunch counter protests and I think it would have been more interesting to show that kind of thing, that sort of resistance to being kicked out of the restaurant. Uh, and also, there's such a lot of really interesting details about the era that that one that ordinary people don't know. I feel like the the episode. It's because you were telling me about the price yeah. difference between yep. the the segregated yep. uh, cafes. Yeah. So if you have a, a restaurant, then. The white people are allowed to eat in in the regular restaurant. Black people, or as they would have said at the time, colored people, would have to eat in some shoddy little shack in the back, maybe attached to the toilets. 
and they would jack up the price quite a bit. So it wasn't jack up the price like twice, but it was more like six times or 10 times the price. Uh, and it was the same sort of thing with movie theaters. Colored people would have their own seats, which would be in the nosebleed section. And they wouldn't even be allowed to use the same entrance. They would have to walk up external stairs and also pay more for the for the opportunity to be there. So I think that would have been quite interesting uh, to to explore bathrooms. There's separate colored bathrooms to white bathrooms. And I know in, in TVs and TV shows generally people you don't see people going to the bathroom. But I think that would have been <laughs> that would have been a nice added feature. And pretty key to this episode, would bus fares have been more? No, no, the bus fares would have been Bus the fares same. were standard yeah. across. I think so. I I could be wrong, but I but I get the impression that they were standard. So yeah, if you were to just have this as a biopic of Rosa Parks, looking the way it did, acting the way it did, it would be a wonderful piece of television. Now, I guess we can ask the question whether it's an appropriate piece of television for a British TV company to be making. Yeah. And uh, and I missed this at first. I missed this at first. And the reason why I missed it is because it's not my lived history. You know, it's lived history of people from another country that I happen to be in, where I happen to look like the kinds of people that were discriminated against. Um, and I suppose the, the equivalence for us would be if Star Trek had done an episode about the IRA, how would we as British people have felt about that? Mm-hmm. Do you know, I've never really had a problem with foreign television companies tackling British issues or this, that and the other. From from my perspective, what annoys me far more is things like Pearl Harbor, where they completely rewrite history to tell an almost a different story so that the the victors and the oppressed, that Pearl Harbor, the Americans won the Second World War. That That's not true at all. So that's just completely rewriting history. Whereas, I mean, I know you've mentioned, Simon, about what you call cultural appropriation. I personally don't see anything wrong with um, a different culture, television story, country telling the story or a story in a different country and their history. That's a take on events, so long as they're not completely rewritten to show somebody else in a better light in a way that never actually happened at all. I think that's fine for something that's genuinely past historical. So a story about the Aztecs, a story about the Romans, a story about Salem witch trials, or none of that is history that is somebody's current lived experience. And I think there has to be that difference there. On the other hand, I do think that there's something to be said for the fact that they are sharing the story with a wider audience, because I think there's a lot of people here. I mean, I could be wrong, but I think there's a lot of people who may never have heard of the, you know, the sort of details of her story. They might they might sort of know in passing who she is or know that she, you know, sat on a bus or whatever. But uh, but I think getting just even just getting the details in about the fact that she was a seamstress, mm. you know, and giving some context about her activist work, the fact that they're raising awareness about it, there's there's some value in that. But the, do you not think that there's a dilution of that message because she's being seen as a character in a science fiction show, in a science fiction episode. It'd be a bit different if it was a purely historical, um, but the fact that they've crowbarred, um, however flimsy it may be, and 
again, we can come on to that in a bit. It sort of relegates her to a fictional character. Yeah. And so a lot of people who are used to seeing Doctor Who as a fictional entertainment, they haven't heard of Rosa Parks before. She has just become a fictional character. Yeah, and that is that is a bit problematic. But I still think that even if they think she's a fictional character, it's better for them to at least be exposed to her. And then maybe later down the line, they will happen to find out that she actually was real. So I think that just the fact that they're exposing people to her story is valuable, even if people don't realize right away that she is not fictional. But I do, I do get your meaning. I do get get what you're saying that um, it could be perceived as trivializing her and sort of exploiting, maybe even exploiting her uh, her story and the difficult work that she did for entertainment. And yeah. on the, I mean, I'm I'm with you on that, Dean. But the flip side of that would be someone like Winston Churchill, who's been in Doctor Who several times over the years. And he's always shown as this avuncular prime minister who, you know, cuts a sway through the Nazi menace and this, that and the other. The avuncular side of him, he was actually quite a sharp man. He had some very unpleasant sides to him and a lot of personal demons. The fact that history's come along and tidied up in this character into a, a national treasure... I'm not denying that's true, but there were a lot of other things that have been swept aside along the way that were less palatable. I don't think that should be... Uh, what's the word I'm trying to say here? I don't think that it's any less liable to be criticised just because he's white. It's just part of an entertainment programme, I think. It's not terribly accurate. So that in an entertainment programme... And this is what, Dean, I'd not actually thought of the point that you've raised, that this has actually made people aware of a lot of the issues surrounding Rosa Parks that people might not have been aware of. Whether or not it's 100% historically accurate and there are bits and pieces that aren't strictly verbatim, the wider message is more important than screwing down every last single detail. And that's the same with the Churchill character. That The version of Churchill portrayed on screen isn't terribly accurate, but the, the general perceived figure is there, and it gives you a flavour of the time. And I think that's true of the Rosa episode. I hope. Well, I can't really respond to that in the sense that, as I said, it's not really part of my lived history. But I can say that, and perhaps this is not entirely relevant, but I do know people, as I said, I co-taught that class with a professor who had lived that history and she she was mixed. Her parents, one uh, was white European uh, and the other was a black man. And, you know, she she sort of had experiences that have left her with, with some amount of... Um, I don't want to say trauma, but just left her with uh, anxieties. So, for instance, even now, when she comes out of a bathroom, if she sees a white woman there, it's a little bit of a surprise for a second right. before she remembers that, uh, oh, no, that's not a thing anymore. So, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, in terms of the specifics, it's more a question of, from the television production side of things, Anyone fictional portrayed in a television drama or a... Te or a, I mean, Doctor Who's not particularly a highbrow historical drama. It's there as an entertainment piece rather than a documentary piece or a reconstruction. So there's certain artistic liberties taken with the actualities and the, the, the real f screwing down the facts so that they're 
absolutely accurate. But what I'm trying to say is that across the board, historical figures that are shown in Doctor Who, it doesn't matter whether they're black, white or other, they're never going to be 100% screwed down. It's just a flavour of that character. Now, I know, of course, Rosa Parks is a real a real figure in history, very influential, but no different to anybody else that's been portrayed living or dead, because there have been people who are still alive who have been in Doctor Who. Yeah, I see what you're saying, you know, because no one expects a Doctor Who episode to be the same as a reference text about mm. Southern living in the 1960s. I think you do have to be very careful with the way that you portray such important historical figures that still have a direct effect on people's lived and lived experiences today. And actually, from everything that I've seen and everything that I've read, they've done a really good job with Rosa mm -hmm, Parks. Mm -hmm. um, and she comes across as very pragmatic, but sympathetic and helpful and taking Ryan under, under a wing the way that she did. Yes. Probably a lot of people wouldn't have done that. And everything you read about Rosa Parks mm -hmm. says that she was this sympathetic, supportive, mm -hmm. but also no-nonsense woman. Yes. Um, and that came across very well. And I think that that's, that's true for a lot of Black women in America still today. A lot of the facial expressions that Rosa Parks had, the sort of like pragmatic, like when she goes, you know, I'll take a ma'am. I see those expressions on black women in America even today. And I think it's sort of, sort of um, you know, fed up, but can't, uh, you know, stuck as part of the system that, you know, I don't mean to generalize, but I think there are a lot of black women and I became one of those. That facial expressions that she uses was really authentic. I think what we're agreeing is that as a television production itself, it's, it's a good representation. Mm -hmm. It looks good. It's well acted. Well written. Well, the author, Mallory Blackwell, she's an OBE and has uh, written... She was Children's Laureate. She was, um, and, uh, three years, I think. Yeah, and her book, Noughts and Crosses, which I wouldn't have read if it hadn't been for, for Rosa and preparing for this discussion, is an absolutely brilliant book. It's young adult, but very thought-provoking, challenging, and very emotionally driven themes in it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. On well, the other hand... It's well worth a read. <laughs> On the other hand, that's a villain, that uh, problematic villain. Shall we move on to looking at Rosa as an episode of Doctor Who rather than as a, a TV drama and bringing in the science fiction aspects to it? I kind of wonder what ended up on the cutting room floor. If there was more development of the villain originally and they just didn't, you know, they just it ended up cut because... He was um, barely one-dimensional. Like, but the whole whole time, I was like, "Why do you hate people of color so much? Like, what's going on here? You're an alien. What do you have to do with Earth history? Why do you care if some people on a small planet? But maybe I just assumed he was an alien. He might have just been a time traveler from the future of Earth. But uh, but it just seemed so odd that this person just sort of randomly happened to hate people of color on on this one small planet. Yeah, uh, as I say, barely one-dimensional. He has two character traits. He's a time traveler and he's a racist. Mm -hmm. And we get no more background than that. Oh, he's been to prison. But we, we get no background to him. And I appreciate that in an episode like this, there's an awful lot to fit in. And it was much more important to fit in the Rosa Park centric stuff than the science fiction excuse for them to be there. Mm -hmm. 
this is why it would have worked much better as a purely historical episode. That's exa- yeah, precisely. And not bringing it, and Dooms of the Punjab is the same. That's um, the example I was going to give. Not bringing in a science fiction excuse for them to be there, mm-hmm. having it as a, a pure four-time travellers end up in that era of history mm-hmm. without the, we need to make make sure, or actually you could still have the, we need to make sure that um, the bus mm-hmm. does what it does, but they could have rectifying their own mistake mm-hmm. so they could have turned up done something that meant that that bus wasn't going to yes. go so they, they could have turned up and caused the driver to fall over and break his leg or something mm-hmm. and they had mm-hmm. to rectify that that i think would have given a, a more authentic flavor to it yeah and even if they were to have one fewer problem happen you know because there are so many problems that this time traveler was uh, was causing even if they had one fewer problem and had developed his character a little more that might have been a bit more effective um, but still in the non doctor who format just with the time travelers and the villain yeah, and the th- the thing that didn't really ring true was Ryan chasing after people saying, please get on the bus, yes. please get on the bus. Because he already knew. He already knew how they were behaving when he tried to give that lady the handkerchief. Yeah, exactly. The behavior would have would possibly have come as a surprise to him because he'd only been there for a little while. He'd been there for a, a day. He hadn't got that lived experience. But, but he'd already almost got arrested by that time just yeah. for being in the hotel. So I don't know. My problem is, and Dean, again, if you've not seen the rest of Series 11, you probably might not come across to you as much but the whole of series 11 we had moralistic messages rammed down your throat every single episode and it got very wearing very quickly they've landed in you know the 1950s it's rosa parks there's enough in there in that story in real historical events to show how racist that era was we didn't need another character in there to reinforce racism's bad, you know, boys and girls. And that's basically all that time agent was there for. That, to me, mm. very much got in the way of a, an already terribly interesting story. That The historical events are interesting. The time agent was actually the least interesting part of the tale. The same with Demons of the Punjab, which was two or three episodes later. It was all about the partition of India and Pakistan. That's interesting enough as it is. You don't need a science fiction element in there. So to me, the more you ram a message down the viewer's throats, actually the less of a message you're putting across because all that people feel is we're preaching at you rather than telling a story. Well, I didn't come away with that feeling, um, maybe because... I already feel so strongly that that people need to know about this. Mm. You know, I have to be honest. What, what I think the science fiction di- thing did was to dilute that yes. message. That in itself didn't come come across as particularly preachy per se. It just came across as unnecessary. Yes. It added a, a level of complication that a story like that didn't need. Uh, the story of Rosa Parks would stand up on its own. Actually, I disagree a little bit. Not that the story with Rosa Parks wouldn't stand up on its own, it would. But I disagree a little bit in that I think that people sort of think, oh, well, that's just in the past. And especially when we were under Obama, there was a sense that, um, you know, the days of racism are over. There's a black man in the White House. And so we are post-racism. And of course, um, now with this sort of like Me Too movement, I think that there are a lot of white men who feel that they are more persecuted than 
than minorities and that uh, that there's like this PC culture where, you know, where there's um, affirmative action. So they feel like people are getting jobs in front of them who are minorities. And there's a sense that, um, that a lot of people feel like uh, racism has sort of flipped the script in a way. And so having this uh, this character who's from the future um, showing that, you know, racism doesn't really go away, you know, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't go away. There's, um, it's sort of like a pendulum and you swing one way sometimes and then it swings the other way sometimes. So I think that having this character come from the future and just be so horrendously racist is a useful reminder to people that, you know, you, you have to be vigilant about this in society and you, you can, you have to like constantly fight against it. It's not like you fight the battle and then it's over and everything's great. You have to keep fighting that battle all the time, every day. I do sort and of I, agree I, with I can, you. I can see what? the point of that and I can see the value of a character like that. But this is a 50 minute piece of television. There just wasn't room for that, that degree of characterization and usefulness of character, characterization to come across. Mm-hmm. Now, had this been a two-parter, mm-hmm. that could have been explored and more about what was happening in America at the time mm-hmm. was explored. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But in 50 minutes, they were already trying to cram in Rosa Parks' story, enough for four members of the TARDIS mm-hmm. crew to do, mm-hmm. and time-traveling racist subplot. Something had to, had yeah. to give. And... Actually, on that balance, if you had to have all of those things in there, the one that I'd like to see least screen time is the time-traveling racist because Rosa Parks as a character is far more interesting than he was. Yes, for sure. But I think had he and that plot not been there, you'd have had a much more rounded episode rather than one where some bits were Mm -hmm. fantastic and looked great and some bits really didn't. Yeah. Just going off on another little tangent here, the fact that they were British and in Montgomery was a little... Uh, it, so when they ran around and they were trying to convince people that they were from there and they were like running a sweepstakes or, uh, you know, when she came to the door and she was like, I'm running a sweepstakes, blah, 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 you know, and you've just won. Who would believe? Who would believe? Oh, actually, it wasn't that one. It wasn't that part. It was the part where uh, she was saying that she was there on the half of the railway and they were doing a well, a survey or something. Yeah. That, that that was a part where I was like, no one would believe that. No one is going to believe that some British person is running a survey for an American railroad. Yeah, and some random British woman turns up on your doorstep and you decide not to go into work and pack your bags and get into some random taxi. Mm-hmm. It was a little condescending. But I think that that character was also meant to be a very unsophisticated person, someone who could be uh, easily tricked, which, again, is also problematic because there's this there's this overall belief in America that people from the South, you know, they talk slowly and they're they're considered stupid. Like there's a stereotype of Southern people being stupid. So for her to do this thing where she tricks this guy so easily is really leaning into that stereotype, you know, just because the stereotype is against the sort of like the bad guys in the story because they're white and they're racist, you know, uh, that doesn't make it a good stereotype to promote. And it's possible to have more than one damaging stereotype in the story. I did love, though, that Ryan was the one finally vanquished the the racist. Like, I thought that was some really sweet poetic justice. Yeah. 
My only other problem that I've got with it, I mean, I'm not a great lover of the first run of Jodie Whittaker's episodes. I've, I've said as much as there is to say. We have seen doctors in the past who have been more observers, and this relates more to William Hartnell than anyone else. They've been observers of historical events rather than directly interacting. Her actions as a doctor didn't sit well with me at all in the way that... Yeah, she knew she had to. And that was the way that she persuaded Graham to to do what he really didn't want to do, which was stay on the bus. Um, and she used his knowledge of the historical consequences to pressurize him in, into doing that. Now, from an adult perspective, you can recognize that as a storyline. But if you're arguing that this is a piece mm-hmm. of education, mm-hmm. you have to think of it from a kid's perspective. And from a kid's perspective, it is the doctor pressurizing Graham to force Rosa Parks into a situation where she gets arrested. And you can look at the subtlety of that from an adult perspective. I think some of the younger audience could get a a degree of mixed messages from that. I agree with that. However, I, I also think that there is still some historical accuracy in the sense that black activists have always had white allies. And to that extent, I think it wasn't really that problematic to me that she would participate in such a way that she was helping Rosa Parks, unbeknownst to her, to do this. But I guess even the fact that they weren't able to communicate to Rosa Parks about what was happening because they would change history, it, it makes the, it puts them in this weird position of being helping but um, not really collaborating. So it's it's sort of like the the great white the concept of the great white hope is that you know a white person swoops in and saves the day and knows better and knows better. Yes, yes. And so um, the fact that it was col- it was not a collaborative uh, situation uh, that part was a bit you know it leaves sort of a, a odd taste in your mouth yeah. the final thing that i would say before we we leave it as the discussion of an episode of doctor who is going back to the cafe where the doctor takes the completely sensible and pragmatic decision to leave the cafe without challenging the reason that they're being told to leave if that were set in an alien planet mm-hmm. and they'd, uh, that was the, the situation she would probably have said something mm-hmm. she would probably have argued the piece it's because of the the situation where it was. And it's always been said that there were certain periods of recent history that it would be inappropriate to set a Doctor Who story in. And that um, Auschwitz is, is the uh, example that's always been given. I'd argue that this is another one. And, you know, when you first said that, you know, when we were chatting before, I didn't fully get it, you know. But when I think of it as what would a different Doctor have done? Any other Doctor, I, I just couldn't see them do you know walking away from that situation so it's even, a bit jarring that that even, this yeah even knowing how much it would escalate when we're looking at this is this a successful doctor who episode you can also ask is this a, a doctor who episode that should have been made in the first place yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and for all the very good stuff you can ask would there be would there have been a, a better way mm-hmm. to highlight the issues and i don't have an answer for that in the same way as I don't have an answer to the question, should this have been made by a British TV company? Now, the ideal would be a, uh, a big budget, American driven, sympathetic, historically accurate, equally well produced biopic. That would be fantastic. Yeah. But it wasn't what we, what we got. A BBC historical biopic isn't what we got. Have there been other situations? I can't think of one right now. Have there been other situations where Doctor Who went in the past 
and revealed the details of who they were, that they were aliens and blah, 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 to a main character who was important to history. Has that happened? Revealed themselves as time travelers to historical uh, characters. Certainly there have been episodes where they've gone back in the past and interfered with history. Mm-hmm. Um, the Rome back in the 1960s, it, it was the Doctor and his companions who set fire to Rome. Mm. Um, there was also one set in the Aztecs where Aztec era where they absolutely went out of their way to preserve history. So it, it's been done in, in both ways. Revealing themselves as time travellers to historical characters. Can you think of one off, offhand, Ken? Yeah, Shakespeare. In the Shakespeare Code, Shakespeare worked it out. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because- oh, well, no, Shakespeare worked it out. They, did, they didn't reveal themselves. They just didn't argue too much about it because he'd already twigged, the, twigged what was going on. Well, Churchill, he was well aware. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. So if they, can re- if they can reveal themselves to past characters, why did they feel the need to trick Rosa into doing all these things? Just reveal yourself, reveal what's going on, you know, and, uh, and give her support. Ask her how you can support her and collaborate and let her be the leader. You know, yeah. that would have been much more respectful. Uh, to be fair, though, she's not, the, she's not an isolated example. Um, there are others such as Charles Dickens... They didn't reveal to him. And there have been others, uh, these are just examples off the top of my head, but there have been others in, say, the audio dramas and the novels, which I know, Simon, you sort of view as fanfic rather than proper Doctor Who, but they've met people like Charles Darwin and what have you and not revealed who they are, even though it would have been a lot easier. Not that they don't. Yeah. Yeah, but they already have this precedent where they do, and I think it would have been a really good idea to go that way in this uh, episode so that it doesn't come across as Doctor Who, the white woman, coming in and saving the day. If a, if a precedent has already been set, you know, that sometimes, occasionally they do this, this, would, this should have been one of the occasions. But looking at it from a character point of view... If a bunch of four seemingly English people landed in 1950s deep South America, befriended Rosa Parks, and then hit her, who would have been sceptical, I imagine would have been wary to start with of these people, and then hitting her with, oh, by the way, we're time travellers from the future. Would she really have taken that and taken it seriously and given them the time of day? Mm. Why, why not? Churchill did. Yeah, but Churchill and was prime have, minister. They would have technology with them that, where they'd be able to prove. It, it's not like talking about uh, revealing it to, oh, I was going to say somebody um, like Elizabeth I, but they did that as well. Hmm. Um, it, it's not like revealing it to somebody who was from an era where it just wouldn't make any sense. No, but... Rosa Parks was actually later than Churchill, historically. Yeah, but you're talking about these figures in supreme authority. When they've met people who are grassroots they've tended not to do that let's take someone let's take the massacre for example uh charles preslam who was instrumental in discovering germs he didn't say any it would have been the easiest thing in the world to say that his research went on to save millions of lives but he didn't because he was already scared when the doctor walked into preslam's uh, apothecary shop he was scared and he was wary already because of his own views. so And the doctor recognised that he was a scared individual. Hitting him with the full truth would have actually made him retreat even more. On the other hand, in this episode, 
Doctor Who already revealed that she was pals with Elvis Presley and Frank Sinatra. So why couldn't she have already been pals with Rosa Park before the episode even started? Medical history is a, uh, a subject in and of itself. Um, and you get a lot of things where innovators were were ostracized because their their ideas went against the um, mainstream medical thought at the time. And the, the most obvious one is Semmelweis, who um, discovered the germ theory of disease and discovered that if medical students washed their hands after leaving an autopsy before they went and delivered babies, then the mothers survived better. Because that argued against the miasmic theory of disease that was prevalent at the time, then he ended up completely ostracized and actually uh, went from being a very well-respected doctor to dying penniless in an asylum. So that medical history isn't a, isn't a great precedent to set, set in this because the medical profession has always been very hidebound. Less so now because we've got, we're in an era of um, evidence-based medicine. But historically, people who've had new ideas haven't had an easy ride of it. So medical precedents aren't a great one to set. I think saying somebody who knew, knew her own mind as well as Rosa Parks clearly did mm-hmm. wouldn't understand proof when it's put in front of her is being a bit disingenuous to the woman. Well, it wasn't that she wouldn't understand it. It was that she'd just be uh, in, an, in a situation where she would already be wary of four strangers being hit with something else as well, and then expecting her to trust them completely. I don't know. And that's not just limited to her. I think that you would find that in with a lot of historical characters. Yeah, but if you were, if you were to demonstrate proof, the whole resources of the TARDIS, all they would have needed to do is take her into the TARDIS and say, look, we are not from around here, and let me show you what your actions do. This is what we're trying to, uh, to carry on with. And as I said, all of that could have been avoided if Rosa also had been already a friend of Doctor Who and she was like, hey, I'm going to do this thing tomorrow. Um, I might need some support. And then they could have started the story with Rosa actually reaching out for assistance. I mean, not that she needed it, but, you know, as you're already saying, you know, if she was already quite uh, cautious, why not call in? Why not call in some help? Why not call in some support? And to do something big. She felt she needed time to process they have a time machine. <laughs> you could actually have done the Vincent van Gogh thing and take her forward and say, look, this is what your actions have, have done. This, mm-hmm. We'll oh, talk yeah, about the asteroid in a second, but that's, here, here is the Rosa Parks High School. This is what you sitting on a bus created. Yeah, but in order to do that, they would have had to tell her what she needed to do. The whole point was she was going to do that on her own and it would have skipped out most of the episode if they just... Yeah, but it... If they, uh, I mean, they, the whole plot is about the fact that everything is conspiring to make her not do that. So having her as part of the counterplot to to get history back on track, rather than trying to manipulate her into doing what she was going to do anyway, take it to one side. Say, look, this is the way things should have been. It's, yeah, it's now not looking as though it's going to be that that way. But from a dramatic will help point us put, of view, put everything back on track, and will you do what you've already been demonstrated to do? I mean, it, I suppose there is the pyramids of Mars argument in that you go you go forward without having rectified the situation, and history rewrites itself, and it's the blasted wasteland. This is 1980s, Sarah. This is the way Sutik would leave it. Go there if you want. So it might be. A, problem showing her the future where 1950s present was in flux but it wouldn't necessarily have been a problem taking her to taking her into the TARDIS saying look we are here 
from the future. This is the proof of it. And we're here because this situation is important. You are important. Things are trying to change that. Will you help us help you get things back the way they were? Or will you allow us to help you to do what you were always going to do anyway? It would be a different way of doing the story and it would involve her in a more proactive rather than reactive way. Shall we move on to a little bit, to move on to the production of it? The production team has said right from the the word go that they are going to highlight issues. It does smack it a little bit of do what I say, not what I do. Because if you look at the production team and you look at the, the credits and you use the magic of social media to look and see who those people are. And most people have Twitter accounts or LinkedIn accounts or Facebook accounts where you can get to see who these people are. Almost none of them are people of color. Not everybody involved has social media accounts, but none of the production team, uh, none of the senior production team are. The Other than the, the people directly involved in the um, uh, Rosa Parks and Demons in the Punjab episode in terms of writing and direction, there's the composer of the theme tune, who has done a fantastic job. There is one of the script editors, and there's the security supervisor. Well, surely the writer is the most important person. It is, but if you're trying to say we need to be more inclusive, shouldn't there be other people of colour involved in the wider production? I'm not particularly bothered what race, creed or colour people are, as long as they know what they're doing. And the team, wherever they are now, aren't doing a very good job of it. I couldn't give a toss what colour the skin is. They're just not doing a very good job. If you're making a point that you're going to highlight this as an issue, shouldn't the first place you look be yourself? And to be fair, Chris Chibnall's got better because if you look at the production team for Broadchurch, there is not one single person of colour involved in that that had a social media account. <sighs> Again, that all depends on... Oh, sorry, Dean, after you. That's okay. I would argue that there should be writers of color or um, somebody of color who makes decisions about the production for every episode because people who are in different uh, racial groups or different minority groups, they have different lived experiences. They understand the world differently. You know, by nature of the way you present in the world, you experience the world differently. There isn't just one experience of what it's like to be alive on this planet right now, even if you live side by side, even if you live in the same house. And so on any production team, it's only going to get better if you have a diverse cast, if you have women in the room, if you have people of color in the room, if you have people who are uh, disabled in the room, uh, if you have people who are queer in the room, there's a lot of value to having that. You're going to produce something that, in the end that's much more rich. And uh, if you're using the show to preach about this, then you should be doing it yourself. It's a good step that there is a, um, a person of color who is a, uh, a script editor. But if you're going to be specifically saying that you're making an episode to highlight an issue, you really shouldn't be doing that if that issue can be pointed back at you. Part of my main problem is that it's just all hollow moralising. It's just, you've said they do as I say, not as I do. That's not a bad appraisal, actually. There's room on television for other programmes to do all this. I want Doctor Who to be aliens with guns. I don't really want to be morally preached at. Uh, We've touched on it, or you've touched on it earlier, that, Dean, I think you said earlier that 
white middle-aged men now feel a little threatened by this that, and the other i'm speaking as a god am I'm, I'm middle-aged now crikey speaking as a white middle-aged man um the only racial group that it's sort of fair game to have a, a pop at because of skin color is actually white middle-aged men so my only beef with any of this is that it's racism's terribly bad boys and girls unless it's against white men. They've had their own way for a long a long while, so that's fine now. It's sort of under... To me, I mean, I couldn't give a toss one way or another. I don't lie awake at night horribly offended by this. I just think it's a little hollow that it doesn't work both ways. And to me, and I've always felt this, if you've got an issue like that, the best way of resolving it isn't to highlight it and keep going over and over and over it. It's actually to ignore it and normalise it. So, I mean, I don't mean normalise racism. I mean, normalise the characters. So rather than banging on about minority rights, make those minorities integral characters to a plot. Interesting, rounded characters in their own right that get on with people and that other people get on with and that just act as if there's no issue whatsoever. That's my personal take on it. Look at people like, uh, or the characters in Doctor Who, Martha Jones, Bill Potts, both black women. Um, one happened to be a lesbian. It was never a major plot point that they were either black or lesbian. They were just interesting characters. You cared about the characters, not because everybody walked around, you know, saying, oh, we must tread carefully because they're black. In fact, there's one beautiful moment where Bill steps out of, or she steps onto a spaceship, and there's this alien, and he's bright blue with livid yellow eyes, and she can't take her eyes off him. And he turns to her and says, oh, look, we've got a racist. And it was a, a tiny, tiny, understated little moment that underlined everything you need to say in just half a dozen words. And then the episode character. But when we've gone beyond talking about the, the plot and the characters, and we're now talking about the production team. Yeah, but what I mean is that I don't think Doctor Who should be going in this direction if that if is. the actual production yeah. team's colour greed is going to be a major issue. I just don't I don't see it's relevant and I don't see that it, its relevance is only because Chris Chibnall is choosing to highlight issues. And no, if that's you're going I mean. to highlight an issue, that's you have I mean. to make sure that it's not something that points back at you. Yeah, I agree. Although um, then- and unless he's going to say that there is no person of colour in his senior production team because there were no appropriately qualified and experienced people of colour that he could have chosen, then for him to say, this is an issue we need to highlight, I agree, it is an issue you need to highlight, and it's an issue that if you're going to highlight it, make sure your own house is in order. Which they have done. I mean, this... Um Production assistance job came up, I believe, recently. And um, a marketing assistant, I think. And it was quite openly stated in the job description that if you are Asian or of an ethnic minority, you'll be bumped straight to the head of the queue. Now, personally speaking, I think that's even worse. Um, because basically you're saying that whether the... We've got five candidates through the door. Let's, let's just say for sake of argument, four are white, one is BAME. The BAME applicant is not in any way qualified for that job. They're clearly either the weakest or one of the weakest applicants, but we're going to employ them anyway, just to show how jolly diverse we are. It's, it's a backward step. You should have a production team 
who are best qualified to do the job. Now, let's just say you've got a, you do another episode on the American War of Independence or the American Civil War, something like that. But you've got um, either an Oxford Don or a Harvard Don or somebody from Yale who has, they are an expert on black issues, so the Confederate issues. They know it inside out better than anybody else, but they happen to be white. And they are hired as a production assistant. Now, they're not then being judged on what they know, but on their skin colour. Okay, I have two two things I want to address that you said. One is um, about it being okay to take pot shots at white uh, middle-aged men, or even white men, let's say, from a racist perspective. It is true that no one should have a pass to be prejudiced against or, or to harm someone because of their race, whether they're white or not. That is true. But what I'm talking about is the fact that there was a survey done and the majority of white men who were surveyed or white people who were surveyed claimed that there's more racism against them than against minorities. And that, that is nonsense. That is, that is just nonsense. Out of interesting. Um, right. Where was this survey done? I'm just in, just out of interest. Oh, I, I don't remember. I'll have to look it up. No problem. Um, and I can send it to you later. But uh, I, I think it was done in America. Pretty sure right, it was done okay. in America. And then the next thing is, it is unlikely that someone would pick an unqualified black candidate uh, for a production assistant position just because they are black. It's highly unlikely that's going to happen. What's going to happen is you could have a black person who didn't go to Yale or Harvard because there's a history of oppression in, in America where black people don't thrive in those environments if they even have the resources to go there in the first place. But the fact that someone comes out of Morehouse, which is an all-black college, instead of out of Yale, doesn't mean that they didn't apply themselves and study hard and that they aren't just as uh, intelligent and qualified as their Yale counterpart who was able to get in there on, say, a legacy, right? There's lots of legacy people, uh, legacy admissions to Yale and Harvard and Princeton. And, and I say this uh, with the experience of having gone to Princeton. I'm a Princeton grad. So. Sorry, can you just explain what a legacy admission is? Yes, I'm about to. Yes, yes. Sorry. So the, what I mean by a legacy admission is someone whose father and grandfather or grandfather uh, and I say father specifically because women were only allowed uh, to these Ivy League universities uh, much later on um, in living. Like there are people alive today who was who were at Princeton when it was all male university. So you have these people who are highly unqualified and they are admitted to these uh, prestigious colleges because their families have been there before and they've been sent to that university every year. So it is not... Uh, it isn't uh, certain that if somebody comes out of Yale, they're smarter or better qualified than somebody comes out of Morehouse. In addition, if you have somebody who is white and is studying black issues, they can study as much as they want to, but they will never fully understand the lived experience of what it is like to be a black person in America. So uh, their, their perspective has value 
but it is not as valuable, in my opinion, as someone who has studied that and in addition has lived it. And there are, you know, many, many people that come out of universities in America who are Black and also have studied African-American studies and have the, both the scholarly background and also the lived experience. And with job applications for something where you're going to get a huge number of applications, like any position on Doctor Who is going to have a lot of applications in. You do a shortlisting process. Anybody who comes to interview, you have a real expectation that they're capable of doing the job. So the interview is fine-tuning. It's not you're through the door because you put an application form in and we vetted it and we think you can do the job. So the, the situation you you were talking about where you've got somebody who is unqualified. Less than... Sorry, less. Uh, the, and this is, this is any situation, but if you're going to, and this loops back slightly to the actual casting of the Doctor, as I said at the time, the casting of Jodie Whittaker was not an equal ops casting. It was actively casting a woman rather than saying, we want the best person for the job. And that every was, Doctor before that had been actively cast cast as a male actor. Yeah, but what I mean is you can't you can't come from the position of... Anybody could do this job. If they're good enough, they, anyone can do this job. Let's have open auditions. Historically, the Doctor's been a white male character. That's just... I'm not defending, excusing, or lauding it. I'm just saying that's been the character up to that point. If you're going to open the door and say, look, we, we want... Let's, let's open the door to women now. Fine, no problem. And if a woman walks through a door and they are, are head and shoulders above everybody else, then it's demonstrable that a woman was far better at this audition than in any of the male candidates that's true that's genuine equal ops that's genuinely the best person for the job rather than saying right we're actively going for a woman this time and shutting the door on men i, I, I don't see that as being progressive at all i just see it as being just as discriminatory as not allowing women before but you've just said that the way to make move things forward is to cast people who are different in these characters and treat it like it's normal. And Doctor Who is an alien, so what does it matter if he reincarnates as a man and then all of a sudden reincarnates as a woman? Oh, it doesn't. Been, no, that's my point. It's been multiple examples of that being in canon beforehand mm, absolutely um, not not just the master but going back before that to the, mm. the corsair um it's been mentioned a lot of times i personally think the braver casting decision for the current doctor would have been to cast an actor of color irrespective of gender because the the gender change had already been established it had been done with a major character with missy changing race would have been a much bigger deal Okay, so Dean, any final thoughts on, well, anything that we've discussed really? Because we've, we've gone quite a way beyond Rosa as an episode. Yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm good. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, this is this really lovely. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's been it has been a pleasure having, you, having you, you on here. Ken, any, anything that you want to finally add? No, no, it's been very good to have a, a different perspective on it. I'm uh, grateful to have you aboard, Dean. Thank you for coming along with us. And yeah, I, I think I've already said more than enough. <laughs> So on that, I think we say goodbye. Michelle, we'll wrap it up. We'll see you next time, boys and girls. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Dean. Thanks for having me. See you soon. Bye now. Bye. 
The Exton Moss experiment featured Simon Exton, Ken Moss and Catherine Dean. All featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers and no infringement of copyright is intended. The programme was recorded in Rishton, Lancashire and in London and produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit our website at extonmossexperiment.blogspot.com or find us on Facebook.